Come on, let's give these young people another hand. Outstanding, huh? Outstanding. And in order for them to sing that well and that coordinated, they need a wonderful team of adults to work with them. Let's give God a hand praise for those adults. Is God in the house? Amen, 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 amen. Let me make uh, just two uh, brief announcements, uh, and then we'll transition quickly uh, to the Word. Uh, Today is the actual last day of our uh, really seven-week series on how to get through what we have been, what you're going through. And uh, has the series been a blessing to you guys? Uh, It's been a blessing to me. So for the next three weeks, we're going to launch a new series. Uh, I'm going to take a break for those three weeks. I'll be doing some traveling. But we are putting together a combination of nine speakers that will focus on uh, the nine fruits of the Spirit, uh, asking and answering the question, how do we become more like Jesus? Those uh, fruit of the Spirit are really an accurate, the most accurate picture of uh, the picture of Christ in our lives. And so it will be a combination of Preachers on staff and elders uh, will deliver that. It's going to be an extraordinary, exciting time over the course of the next three weeks. And so I want you to be praying for that in advance and come with high expectation what God is going to do in your life as we move through this next series. If you'll do that, give God a hand praise. I appreciate it. All right. However, I will be here on the uh, 9th of uh, next month because on that day, which is a Saturday, we will be having... An all-male worship service. Just the brothers going to be getting together, so bring out your sons and your, your siblings and your dads and all of that. Just the brothers in the house. We're going to get together and worship, and I'm going to speak. Let's celebrate that. The brothers are serious about moving to the next level. So everybody put that on your calendar. Lastly, let me give you uh, three scriptures that come out of Romans that I want to suggest that you reflect on during the course of this week, as, which, as, which is a wonderful way of wrapping up this series. Just let these passages get into your spirit. Write them on an index card or on a piece of paper and just kind of, you know, move throughout the, the week. You know, start with Monday and Tuesday with one and then switch up with another one and so forth and so on. Just reflect on it two or three times during the course of the day. The first and all three, I'm doing it from the New Living Translation, but whatever translation works for you. Uh, the first one is uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, which simply uh, says, uh, Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us later. Isn't that good news? What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us later. The second one uh, really comes at uh, verse 23 of the same chapter. And it's after Paul has talked about how the entire creation is groaning to be set free from a cycle of decay and death. And after he's talked about how the believers, the beginning of verse 23, are also groaning, uh, even though we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste, of a future glory, we still are groaning to be set free from bodies of uh, suffering and sin. Then in the last part of that verse, he actually says, uh, 
that we wait with an eager hope uh, for God to give us the full rights of his adopted children and which includes the bodies that he has promised us, the new bodies that he has promised us. And so, you know, it may sound a little outlandish when we think about it in this context. And yet, if you are struggling in your health or you know people who are disabled, it's a wonderful piece of good news to know that between now and eternity, God is going to work it all right. He's going to work it all out. Tell somebody, he's going to work it all out. And then the last passage uh, is uh, the 32nd verse in the same chapter, which says, Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not give us everything else? So I want you to reflect on those three passages and just meditate. It's a wonderful way to wrap up. Uh, this series, uh, and uh, as well as the passages we're going to focus on today. They come out of Revelations. Uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to Revelations chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 1, and a few of the following, and then we're going to skip to chapter 7. To the guest who is with us, uh, let me add my words of, of uh, welcome so good to see you. You're looking for a church home or just a place to hang out. Our hearts are open. No pressure. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Listen to the word of the Lord to us. Then I saw, somebody shout, I saw. A scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. That was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw, saw, shouted, I saw, a strong angel who shouted with a loud, loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has one the victory. Shout, he's won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and his seven seals. And I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Verse 9. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break the seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed, redeemed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Somebody shout amen. amen. Go to chapter 7 if you will. Verse 9. Listen. I love this. It says. After this I saw. Shout I saw. A vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Verse 13. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these 
who are clothed in white. Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the only one who knows. And then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. This is why they stand in front of the God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again, shout never again, be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear, shout every tear. From their eyes. That's how the stories go in for those who die and rise in Christ. Give God a hand, praise, shout hallelujah. Every tear. Please be seated. The day we finish up by looking at treasures hidden in the darkness, and here's what I want you to repeat after me. More than what meets the eye. Shout it. Again, more than what meets the eye. Shout it. This makes the seven week. Over the last six weeks, we have taken time to try to answer the question, how do we utilize our faith in a resurrected Christ to help us to get through unimaginable tragedy and inescapable suffering. We've talked about a number of different ways, seasons that we have to work through. The first, we told you that uh, it's okay to confess your shock, which is usually what happens in the first stage of a tragedy, and rely on other people. And then we taught you that whether you are a male or a female, adult or Kid, that it's all right for you to cry out of the depths of your sorrow as you try to work through your depression. Crying is how God has shaped us, helped us to get through. And then we said that it's all right for you, we granted permission for you to complain not against God, but complain to God. Be encouraged by the words of Jesus as he declared, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That you can pour your feelings out to God, whatever those feelings are, and wrestle with him, trying to make sense out of your life and, and who you are in the face of great loss and great tragedy and understand your faith in a deeper way. It's all right to wrestle with God. And then we said that if you can work through all those stages, and usually it takes months to do that. This is not a couple of weeks that you get it done. But some of us, it'll take even a year and a half alone to work through it. But if we keep working at it, keep pushing, keep coming to church, keep studying the word, keep showing up and lifting our hands in worship, even when we don't even feel like singing the words, but just keep at it. Then we'll get to a place of surrender. Everybody shout surrender. And you remember what that place is. That's the place where we acknowledge that God could have changed it, but he didn't. We can't change it, so we have to accept it. And there we experience a sense of peace that only God can grant. You know, that's the place where we make up our mind, as old people used to say that raised me, to trust God anyhow. 
to trust God in the face of unanswered questions. And then it's at that point that we make our decision that we're going to come through this suffering and out on the other side more like Christ. We're going to come out better and not bitter. We pray God sanctify us in our suffering. And then finally, maybe a year and a half down, after you've come to church a few Sundays uh, over a course of a couple of months, and the truth be told, you heard the sermon, but you actually didn't hear the sermon because you were just in so much pain. All you could do is just show up. You, you heard the folk around you singing, and you tried to mouth the words, but really, the fact is, your worship was just simply in the fact that you rolled out of bed and found your way into the house of the Lord, because you just needed to be gathered around some other folk who could believe and help you in the midst of your unbelief. But after you kind of work through that, finally, you'll wake up one day, and you'll look around, and you'll realize, I've discovered some treasures right here. Where I've been hurting all alone. Treasures in the darkness. And I told you all last week that one of the great treasures in the darkness, and when I talk about darkness, I'm not talking about evil, the darkness of evil. I'm talking about the darkness of emotional pain and, and spiritual isolation that comes when your life comes unglued. And I told you the good news is that even though you don't always see, God is always present. In the dark. And he's not alone. He brings his all-conquering love. Isn't that good news? Give God a hand praise for that. That's just good news. <laughs> now, as I was preparing for the day, the Lord dropped into my spirit a little jingle that was connected to a cartoon and a commercial, rather, that uh, when I was a kid, advertised these toys that, by the way, I never had a chance to own. I thought about that, too, when I was thinking about this. <laughs> but I used to love the commercial. It was the um, Transformer commercials. You remember the Transformers? Uh, the uh, Autobots, uh, like the robots, Autobots, and the Decepticons. Those of you who keep up with that kind of stuff, you remember they were little cars and trucks and motorcycles that could be transformed into mechanical heroes. And whenever they were advertising these little toys that was transformed, which I just thought was so great that I never got a chance to own, of course. But uh, at the end of it, they would go, Transformers, more than what meets the eye. Remember that? Oddly enough, as I was preparing this sermon, that jingle dropped in my spirit. I'm going, well, what does that have to do with this seventh week wrapping up this whole question about how to get through the suffering? And then God began to pull back the curtains and make it clear. You see, some of you are going through suffering right now, and you're in one of those stages. But there are some others among you, either watching my video or sitting here right now this morning, you have been around long enough for God to bring you through 
and out on the other side, and you can testify to the fact that the God that we know in Jesus Christ, who shows up in the darkness when we least expect it, that God is a transformer. Come on now. And he specializes in taking agony and despair and transforming it into hope. He specializes in taking tears of sorrow and transforming them into tears of joy. He specializes in taking the death of a dream or the death of a business or the death of a relationship or the death of a loved one and bringing out of the jaws of death life forevermore. That's the God that we know in Jesus Christ. He is a transformer and he argues there's always more than what meets the and so what I want you to just kind of capture and take home with you is that the next time you find yourself in the midst of deep darkness and suffering and tragedy that doesn't make any sense, the way to summarize the teaching of the whole seven weeks now is simply to remember that something is going on, that there's more than what meets the eye. You don't understand it. You can't figure it out. There's mystery. But there is more than what meets the eye. And that's where we find ourselves in the midst of uh, this Revelation text. I love Revelations. I know a lot of you, you think of Revelation, it gets frightening just to think of it. All you remember are these mysterious symbols and cataclysmic destruction of the universe and disease and tornadoes and suffering and pain and blood and somewhere in the middle of all of that there's worship and there's angels and then there's demons flying across like locusts and all of that and you go oh no I can't read that I, I might wake up in that experience I want to avoid that world you say but I've got a news flash for you if you woke up this morning, you woke up in that world. But the point of Revelation is remarkable. I, I, I love it because Revelation is one of the few books of the Bible. It's why it's placed at the end that actually exists in three dimensions at the same time. On the one hand, it is rooted in its historical context of deep suffering. John, who is on the island of Patmos, a prison island, all of his friends, many of his friends and loved ones have been martyred uh, because they refuse to bow to the emperor uh, of Rome and, de and declare that he's deity. They, no, they said, we only know one deity, and his name is Jesus Christ. By the way, every now and then, life will give you the same opportunity. I bet you I've got some single women in here, probably around 38, 39, or 40, and you're saying, my clock is ticking, and I don't think I'm going to ever get married. And some cool dude who comes to church every now and then pops over and gives you a call and says, if you want me to keep you company, you got to do it my way and give up your purity. Well, that's when you need to be able to look him in the face and declare, I have only one deity. Come on now. And his name is, oh, y'all ain't listening. Shoot. I, I, I don't need to sleep with you. He lays me down to sleep and wakes me up every morning. Come on now. He will never leave me nor forsake me. 
anyway. The emperor. So they declared that they would not bow to the emperor. And as a result, great persecution. They were sold in half, thrown in the line, then their heads were chopped out. By now, most of the disciples who walked with Jesus and reported and wrote after him were now destroyed and killed. And Peter was hung upside down. Paul, the great apostle who would write most of the New Testament, his head had been chopped off. And John is the only one left. Somebody shout suffering. I'm telling you, Revelation is anchored in blood and in suffering. And they tell us about John. At least one of the traditions about John is that not only was he on the island of Patmos, but to punish him for his, his, his tenacious faith and testimony in Christ. They boiled some water and they put John down in boiling water and submerged him and brought him up again. And because of that, he was blind. His, he lost his eyesight. Keep that in mind. Somebody say suffering. Revelation is anchored in suffering. But then it is also a book that pulls back the curtain. And you get to see what's going on in the heavenlies at the same time as stuff is going crazy on the planet. And you discover that when it looks like the, 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 the people of God are losing because they are keeping the stand of Christ solid. Come on now. Demons are being defeated in the heavenlies. Oh, let me just point it out. Go back to my example. You say no to that fella and throw away his number. And it looks like you say, I'm going to be all by myself. But I'm here to tell you, every time you say no to him and turn to Christ, come on now. Uh, demons are being defeated up in the heavenlies. And young teenage girls are being set loose as they look at your lifestyle and say, I want to be like her. Somebody say, more than what meets the eye. Shout it. Whatever's going on in, on the planet in your life, there's a spiritual counterpart. There's some impact that's happening. And then, Revelation in the third dimension raises the window. Somebody say, raise the window. And he looks down and shows us the future. Now, here's why it's so exciting to me. Because the whole purpose of Revelation is to argue the larger picture. Here's what the larger picture is. It takes all of the suffering that the church has endured through the ages. All of the suffering... That the saints of God, regular everyday people, have endured through the ages. And it shows us that as the enemy pounces upon the church and seeks to destroy the church and seek to drive it into unspeakable suffering so that it would wipe out the church. There's something amazing and unique about being a Christ follower because the more hell broke loose, the larger the church grew. Y'all ain't listening. The more the enemy did against us, the more powerful we became. And finally, the book of Revelation points us to the end. And it says, you may be going through all kinds of stuff now. But listen, there have been people who have died. But then in chapter 9, you hear the souls speak out and say, oh God, when you go going to avenge our death? In other words, they must have been in the presence of Christ. And then in chapter 14, you hear them uh, as they take on new bodies and they begin to march before Christ in a, in a place of praise. And then when you get to chapter 21, say 21. 
That's when I start my shouting. Come on now. Because in chapter 21, all the hell, all the suffering, all the bleeding, all the death, all the tragedy, all of the horror, all of the bad stuff. But the text says because God is God and Jesus is victorious, he pulls a new Jerusalem out and he pulls a new earth out and he pulls a new creation out. Shout victory! Revelation says, if you know Christ, if you live in Christ, if you die in Christ, I'll tell you how it's going to end. He's going to wipe all tears away. You're going to have victory. Somebody shout victory. Victory. Hmm. You see, there's always more than what meets the eye. Right here in chapter 5, as we get to the first point, the writer, John, begins with an extraordinary insight. Easily missed, unless you read it closely. He says, Then I, what? Saw. Now, the phrase I saw appears 33 times in 22 chapters. The whole book rests on what he saw. But didn't I tell you a few moments ago he was blind? What does that point teach us? Sometimes it's only in the midst of surviving our worst horror that we see clearly. One preacher tells a story that on 9-11, planes blew up and stuff crashed. Wealthy fellow showed up in the church, fell before the altar and said, I need Jesus. I want to be saved right now. And he's still living saved till this day. What happened to that fellow? That fellow realized in the midst of that horrendous tragedy, he realized, you know what? There will come a time in life that's arrived that my money can't help me. That my political clout can't help me. That my, my positions in corporate America cannot help me. How many girls I got in my book cannot help me. There comes a place in life that if I'm on a plane and it explodes, I, um, my, my status cannot help me. But if I know Jesus, who is the conquering king, Lord of Lord, all oh, y'all have mercy. If I know the one who, who got the keys to death and to the grave, I'm all right. Here's the truth. Listen to this. Get this truth. There are no guarantees in life. None. If you think they're guarantees, they're just temporary. If you think you can guarantee your health by eating well and exercising well, just temporary. Because there are a lot of young folk who was very healthy yesterday and they're sick today. If you think you can guarantee your future by piling a lot of money in the bank and having great investments on stock market uh, in Wall Street, stock market crashes. The economies go into default. If you think you can guarantee, come on now, your clout by political clout and party, party changes. Listen, there are no guarantees in life. But the guarantees that count exist in Christ. 
He says, I won't promise no tragedy. In this life, you will have suffering. But here's my promise. Be of good cheer, not for the suffering, but that I have overcome. And if you rest in me, I'll see to it that you overcome too. Somebody shout victory more than what means that. So here it is. Here's what John says. Dying is all around him. Blood and all of that. Heartbreak and tragedy. He's in the middle of it. Eyes have been boiled out. But then he writes. But then the scroll was in the right hand. The scroll, the narrative that was going to tell me how it all ends. Once the seven seals of judgment has been broken and God steps back and let us deal with the consequences of our own humanness at its worst. Uh, there's a narrative how the story is going in. And I saw that it was in the right hand of the one, watch it, sitting on the throne. Oh, did you catch it? In the midst of great suffering with his eyes boiled out, he was able to realize God was still on the throne. Did you see it? <laughs> oh, oh, you might have missed it. I, I know that you're, you're trying to figure out how you're going to work through the divorce. I know you just buried your mama. I know. I know that the business is all over. I know. I know there's heartbreak. It was hard for you to get out of bed today. I know them children. You raised them up in the church. They sang in little choirs like this. You prayed over them. And now that young man is 18 years old. He acts like he doesn't know you nor Jesus. I get all of that. But here is the good news. The old folk taught me this. God is still on the throne. And as long as God is still on the throne, there's more than what meets the eye. Somebody say, there's more than what meets the eye. Say it. So that I saw turns into 33 I saws that gets to the end of the story. And it gives John what I call a mature a sober mind and a mature perspective because his perspective is an eternal perspective. You know, I, I love to watch them runners run during the Olympics, those long distance runs. I usually start watching it. I turn over. They got five miles or 10 to run. I don't know, 20, 30 laps or whatever. So I turn the TV on, I watch the starter race, and then I turn over and watch something else, and then I turn back, they're still running. And so, uh, uh, and then I watch them, and then I, you know, and then I catch it towards the end, because the end is always most thrilling. And what has always been fascinating to me is that usually the best ones, the ones who they say is going to win, we think he's the, you know, he's like, he's the guy or the girl. Uh, but I, I turn, let's say there's, there's 20 laps, around lap 14 or 15, He's back at number seven, number eight. I said, boy, he doesn't look impressive. He's he he not going to win this thing. But then when you get to the last two laps, last three, he makes his move. And he's, number seven becomes number six. 
Number six becomes number five. Come on now. Last lap. Number five becomes number four. He's coming coming around the turn. He ties up with number one. And then in the last quarter run, he just pulls away from everybody behind him. And then he crosses the finish line. And, 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 and I learned something about that. Because good runners know it's not how fast you start off. It's how well you finish. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and good runners do what they call play the long game. Come on now. They hang back and they save up the steam so they can finish strong. And if you know how it's going to end, come on now. You have an eternal perspective that makes the difference between whether the tragedy ruins you or whether it makes you resilient. John would develop a, a sober mind and a mature perspective about his suffering. I took, I'll tell you, Wednesday morning at uh, 6.30, I went to my daughter's school. About 49-year-olds. And I was crazy enough to get on the bus with them. With four other adults. Not enough. <laughs> we went up to Coloma, the place where they discovered gold, 1848, gold rush in 1849, California became a state in 1850. I learned all that then. <laughs> but I had to live with these little boogers. Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night. Friday, didn't get back home till 7.30. And let me tell y'all, before I went on the trip, I had hair. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. Let me tell you about it. It, it, it was remarkable, as I was thinking through the sermon, that God sent me to the place where they mined gold. To teach you about the treasures that exist in the darkness. And, and, and as I'm thinking about this text, about more than what meets the eye and a mature, sober mind, the first thing I realized, and, and I saw this in what they did. They got them kids together, these naturalists, they call them. And they taught about the three different ways that gold would mine. The first two caused a avalanche and, and stuff to slide down into the waters and messed up stuff. And then the third one put uh, uh, chemicals in the water that caused people hair to fall out, the nails to fall off, trying to start losing their mind. And then they wiped out all the trees. And then they, they wiped out a number of animals almost to distinction. And then there was more than 100,000 Native Americans there. Uh, and then when they got through killing them with the diseases that they brought and all that other stuff, it was just a few hundred. And, 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 and I looked at the naturalists and I thought, you know, on the one hand, if you know all this stuff, that's enough to make you cynical. But then, here these naturalists were. It was as though they concluded, but God is still on the throne. And he's left me here. What are we going to do? We're going to make up our mind to profit from the pain of the last generation. To learn from the losses of the last generation. To, to advance through the adversity of the last generation. And, and if we can teach these kids the lessons that have come out of the brokenness of yesterday... 
These kids can grow up and be better tomorrow. So I'm going to take the lessons of yesterday's loss, come on now, and I'm going to create an advancement for tomorrow's progress. You understand what I'm trying to say? Let me build it. Let me bring it to you. Uh, In other words, in the midst of your tragedy, it ought to force you to look at yourself. And you ought to learn some things about yourself that you didn't know before. So you had a divorce five years ago, but you sat down with a therapist and some friends, and you figured out what went wrong and what you did wrong, and then you flipped it. Now you done got married again, and upon the same thing, flipped over, you're going to build a 30-year marriage because you learn from your loss. You profit from your pain. You advance through your advertisement. Come on now. That's, that's a treasure in the midst of your tragedy. You learn about you. And then you learn something about people. In the midst of tragedy, how you see them. There was a little fellow there. You know, in every group, there's a very, 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 very challenging one. I'm going to call him Clark. That's not his real name. And Clark, very, 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 very challenging, was in my group. Stop running. Come back. Boy, let that girl go before you kill her. Stop. (laughs) I played some Beethoven at night on my iPhone to make him go to sleep. It worked. (laughs) And then finally I crawled up in my bed. I slipped down in my sleeping bag. My bunk was above Clark's. I had disciplined him earlier. He was going to get me back. He sleep, y'all. Everybody sleep. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I crawl up and I slide down in my sleeping bag only to discover that there's a puddle of water. He wanted to get me back. <laughs> Every day the teachers would say, you a preacher, you get Clark. <laughs> but that's all right. Yes, he got on every last nerve I had. Yes, he did. He started me pulling at my beard because I didn't have no rabbit. But in between all of that, I saw something in that boy. And as I looked at him, and he's, and, and he, and, and he's uh, 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 trying to organize kids to do the wrong thing, I pull him to the side and I lecture him. I said, boy, you're a leader. Use your leadership ability to impact the world, not to mess it up. And then I saw him. He was messing over a, 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 a little fella. I pulled him to the side. I said, boy, you think you're strong? Use your strength to protect the weak, not abuse them. And then he started answering various questions, and I put him to the side. I said, boy, that's what I'm telling you. You're brilliant. you got insight. I said, there's two ways to be known in the world. You can be known as the worst of something, or you can be known as the best of something. 
And then later on, the teacher came before the end of the trip. She said, I noticed how you've been working with him. She said, thank you. He's responding. You've been focusing on all the things we've been working with him on. And, and I don't understand. How, how, but it's working. It's working. Well, what she didn't understand was that I actually saw something in that boy. And what I really saw in that boy was that I saw me. I used to be Clark. Y'all know my story. Come on now. I was the one no teacher wanted. I was the one messing up. I was the one flunking out. I was the one uh, making, I was supposed to be in a graveyard. I was supposed to be in jail. But God showed up through other teachers who were able to look into my life. And they saw what other folk did not see. And they started calling it out. Leadership, call it out. Brains, call it out. Hope, call it out. And the God who's a transforming God declared there's more than what meets the eye. And here I stand today preaching and pastoring. God bless Clark. What's my point? Because of my adversity. Because of my struggle, because of what God did for me in my struggle, I'm able to see treasures where nobody else can see them. You lost your house, but in the process, you discovered that it was more important to have a home than a house. And you discovered that the bank can foreclose on the house and the Colorado flood can wash away the house. But if you've got a home, you can have a home in a garage. So the person sitting behind you, they're losing their house. You can turn around and all they see is darkness. But you can point out the treasure in the midst of the darkness because God has blessed you to work through your own tragedy. All right. All right. Here's the second thing he saw in the text. Stay with me. I mean, that text. The text says the word went out. Who can open the seal? Who can execute judgment? Who can unfold the final pages and the narratives of history? Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody beneath the earth. And verse 4 says that that boy, John, wept bitterly. Now, here's an insight. From the text. It's possible to know that God is on this throne and still feel like you're going to get the short end of the state. It's possible to know that God is on the throne and still feel like injustice is going to rule over justice. That wrong is going to be on the throne of your life. That it's going to end. But if you've got an eternal perspective. The 24 elder, that elder looked at that fellow crying and he said, stop weeping. Now, he wasn't fussing at him about grieving, but watch what he said. You got to catch the whole sentence. I like the King James Version, actually. He said, uh, uh, essentially, uh, uh, stop weeping. Behold. In other words, look up and see. Oh, you keep crying. Let the tears fall, but look up. And catch, watch this, catch the sight of a triumphant Savior who redeems. Oh, my God. 
you, you remember this is like it's like when you when you when you when I was a little boy about about fifth grade my mama sixth grade my mom leave me at home and I was out there playing with my dog Rex and he wanted to rest and I wouldn't let him rest he got tired and so he snapped at me and snapped my arm and cut a bit cut out of it and I ran in the house but nobody was there I was crying and this Mary Lee was across the street and she called my mama my mama came home from from some sister Bailey house where she was working sister Bates house and then she came in and the car drove in and she came in and I was crying and I was bleeding in my tears but when mama walked to the door I still kept crying but I felt better because I got a sight because I didn't know what she was going to do but I knew that somehow she was going to fix it come on now and that's what he was saying don't worry he said look up the line the, oh y'all ain't listen the line uh, upon the tribe of Judah and and, and the heir of David's throne. Then here's what I like the New Living Translation. He has won the victory. Stop crying. Come on now. He has won the victory. There's more than what meets the eye. And John says, I looked up. I looked for the lion, but I saw a lamb. And it looked like one had been slaughtered. And then later on they say, Worthy art thou. Through the shedding of your blood, you have redeemed and purchased the souls of people from every ethnicity, every race, every tribe, every nation, and every people, and every language. Are you a part of the redeemed? Let me say a word about redemption. When I was there, I went up to the statue of Coloma with these kids. The statue of, I think it's James Marshall. He accidentally discovered gold. Died poor. And they showed us, they said, you see all these trees around here? See, they said a hundred years ago, they were all cut down. That's what the miners did. They said, how do you think it got back? The kids didn't know. They call it Mother Nature. I call it God. Here's my point before I tell you that. Listen, here's what I like about God. God goes ahead of you and puts a provision in your future that anticipates the suffering you're passing through now. Y'all ought to write that down. You just reflect on that. <laughs> For I know that the suffering of this present time is not worth it. Listen. All right. All right. Back to the story. Here it is. Here it is. So they said, how did it happen? They said, well, the wind blew and the seedlings from the trees way away blew over here. The birds flew and they landed and they dropped seedlings. And then the rain came and then the wind blew in most seedlings and the birds flew and they dropped seedlings. And, and over a period of time, everything that had been wiped out was restored. Well, you see, what they didn't realize is that that's just how God works. Come on now. He knew in advance that crazy people were going to go up in 1849 and cut down all the trees. So he programmed the ecological reality and he put, come on now, something in the future to handle what folk were going to pass through behind. And so when the time was right, the rain fell and the wind blew and the seeds planted. And, and just give it time. Say, give it time. That's why it doesn't happen in a week or so. Give it time. Say, give it time. There's more than what meets the eye. In due season. Come on. The trees that were wiped out grew back up again because God is a redeeming God. Check it out in the seasons. Go to Boston. That's when you really see the seasons. And in the winter, everything dies. Tree dead. No grass. Nothing but snow. Frozen ground, no flowers, 
Nothing. Dead. But wait long enough. Somebody say, wait long enough. Tell somebody, in due time. Tell somebody, it takes time. But God is always faithful. And when the spring comes, I know the spring has arrived, not by what's on the calendar, because in Boston, sometimes it's still snowing when the spring gets here. Come on now. But I know when the springs arrive, because it's, it's, it's in God's own season. When the snow falls, the grass comes back, the leaves come back, the flowers bloom, where there was death. Life comes out in the ecology. Come on, in the season, God is telling you and telling me, if I can do that in the environment, what more can I do through my son Jesus? If I didn't spare him, what more will I do for you in your death season, in your winter? Give it time. God's got a redemptive plan. You will love again. You will laugh again. You will have joy again. You will leap in praise again. You will. You will. Give God time. And I read somewhere when the old temple was thrown down and they built another one, I heard God declare to somebody in here, and the glory of the latter shall be greater than the former. Come on, let me finish it. Woo! Come on, say, say, look. Say, say, look. Come on, for, 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 for the Savior who redeemed. Say it. And when you find it, come on, he'll clarify your mission. You'll learn that the very thing that broke your life, you can use it to change life for the better for somebody else. Come on, and he'll give credibility to your witness. A lot of folks think that it needs, you need money for people of the world to think, oh yeah, look, he's got a savior. You need power for people to say, oh, she's got a savior. No, the world is not impressed by that because they got all of that. What they want to see is how you handle suffering. And Rick Warren teaches us that it's always more than what meets the eye. He had a daughter named Amy, and she gave birth to her first child. And in birth, the child was breached, and they all, she all, the child almost died. They walked the floor all night, and they prayed, and God intervened, and the child was born healthy. But then three weeks later, Amy had a brain bleed, and they almost lost her. Actually, she had three of them, and she should have died three separate times. But God intervened, and, 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 and she lived. But Matthew, his son, who's struggling with mental illness, they prayed for 27 years. And at the end, God did not intervene. Well, uh, Rick has learned that there's always, even in your suffering, even when God doesn't intervene, more than what meets the eye. I, I don't understand how it all connects. All I know is that when he went on CNN... Even though he was a best-selling author of, for, of, of, of Purpose Driven Life, there were plenty of folk, millions, who refused to give any credibility to Rick. They said his theology was so, 
surface and too simple. His, 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 his theological understanding of Christ and how he impacts the world is too artificial. And they wouldn't pay him any attention. But when they heard that he had suffered this great loss and he went on sin, that's why CNN contacted him. And then millions tuned in. And then when they heard him talking about the gospel in the context of his own loss, then they heard with fresh ears. Then they saw with eyes they had never seen. And they looked back into their own tragedies and they discovered that maybe if I know the Christ that Rick knows, maybe death and suicide will not have the last word. I don't know how to connect, but it's more than what meets the eye. Come on now. Uh, I don't know how it connects, but now he's speaking to millions of families who've suffered suicides in their families and they've been in prison for years with guilt and shame, thinking they should have did this differently and should have done that differently. But now when they hear this great man of God declare, not because of his sin, not because of his weakness, but because of the fallenness of human nature and the brokenness of life and the suffering that happens without control. His son took his life and he hears Rick say, God is still a good God. Come on now. And he's still able to do more and stop beating yourself up there are some things you just can't control and millions of people are walking out of their prisons i don't know how it connects all i know is that when god doesn't intervene it's more than what meets i finish here my last point is salvation shout salvation that's, that's chapter 7. I love this chapter. When I'm really down, I reflect on chapter 5. The Holy Ghost moment in the praise shout when everybody, including the millions of angels, started to dance around Jesus because he won the victory. And I look at this chapter 7, verse 9, because it says, listen. And I saw, I like the KJV version, a number that no one could number. He had already seen 144,000. That's the providential sovereign protection of, of Israel. But then he says, but I see something else. Ooh, I like this. Over the course of the last seven weeks, I've talked, you've heard me, t- I've talked to some people. I had one lady tell me about her, her brother who died of ALS, one of the worst things you can die of. It almost basically suffocates you. And he was witnessing for Christ. Even when he lost the ability to talk, he, he, would, he, would, he would write out little notes. As he died. And there's mystery there. Why God? And then, and then I talked to a mother whose 11-year-old daughter died. She told me about him. Then you heard me tell you about Jamie, who, who grew up with uh, a cystic fibrosis. She couldn't breathe. Her lungs were bad. Loved Jesus and died. Heard me tell you about Pam. You, you heard these stories, right? But when I look at that, then these texts that I told you about begin to make sense. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. Salvation really means to be made whole. Everybody say be made whole. Uh, that's the secular good news of the gospel that streaks through the Bible. Uh, uh, Joseph was in prison for 20 years and he was in slavery for another 20, 40 years of his life he was messed up. But by the end of his life, God brought him full circle and put him second in charge. God made him whole. 
Job, uh, you remember Job, the first uh, 38 chapters of Job, he's just uh, just all messed up. And you and I, we're agreeing with Job. How come you let this happen? And where did this come from? And all of that. But by the time you get into chapter 42, the same God, everything he lost, God replaced it double. He made him whole. When we come to chapter 20, oh my God, 7, right in the middle of disaster, six seal has been broken, the seven is waiting. But right in the middle, there's a pause just to encourage people who are really going through. And it says, there is a number that no one can number. I love this text because what it means if you die, because the word was, who are these? They said, these are the ones who died, the King James Version, uh, in, in great tribulation. But they have washed their garments in the blood of Christ. Somebody shout redemption. And now they're before him praising him day and night. Here's my point. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I see the crowd. Do you see the crowd? That no one can number. There are Mandarin speakers in there. They're speaking in Mandarin. There's they're, 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 they're Spanish being spoken in there. Come on now. There's Russian being spoken in there. There's the Indian dialects being spoken. And they're all there. But you know, among the crowd, I see that 11-year-old girl that died without an explanation. But she's behind. She's by that crowd. I see that fellow who died of AL in Christ. He's in that crowd. I see Jamie. She's in the crowd with a new body. She's breathing in, breathing out, and singing her praise. Come on now. I, I see my mama in that crowd who died believing in a Jesus who could raise her from the dead. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, I see myself in that crowd, not because I'm perfect. I've got my flaws, not because I'm all that great, because I'm not, but because the shed blood of Jesus has washed my life. And if an airplane explodes and you don't hear me preach no more, don't worry about me. Look for me in the crowd. I'm going to be shouting and preaching a brand new sermon. I'm going to be talking about he's faithful. To bring all now. He's faithful to keep that which I have committed till the last day. Will you be in the crowd? I'm in the crowd. I'm going to see you in the crowd. That's why I preach so hard. I want you to show up in the crowd. And on that day, he will make you there is always more than what meets the eye every head bowed every eye closed let me give a call here